When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. The money pit is presented by Bank of America, the Angie app. Dice Coatings and Lutron. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Spring is here, and if you're getting outside and getting ready to enjoy that beautiful weather, we can help you get those jobs done that you need to do just that. A couple of ways to get in touch, but the easiest thing to do is to go to MoneyPit.com and download the Money Pit Vox Pop app. If you do, you can easily record your question, push a button to send it right to the studio, and you'll be at the top of the line. You'll be first in line or one of the first folks that we respond to. We'll respond directly and on this program with the Money Pit Vox Pop app. Coming up on today's show, if you love the look of real hardwood, but you don't have the budget to manage it, engineered hardwood may be a perfect solution. So we're going to explain the options just ahead. And adding a beautiful new granite top is a great way to add a little luxury to your kitchen, but granite or stone tops are expensive, so we're going to share a less costly alternative that looks just as good. And when you take out a painting project, most of the time latex paint is the way to go, but not always. I've been doing a lot of painting lately, and I was thinking about it. You know, a lot of folks always go for latex, but for me... I had some really specific projects I wanted to do that I would always use oil for. So we're going to talk about the pros and the cons and which ones are best in just a bit. But first, pick up the phone, give us a call, let us know what you are working on. I mean, it is spring, you guys, so it's time to start thinking about getting your outside in tip-top shape, turning your backyard space into the yard of your dreams. Heck, even if it's your stoop, we've got ideas to make it that space that you're going to want to hang out in as the weather gets warmer. So get your questions to us ASAP. The way to do that is go to moneypit.com slash ask, download the Money Pit app, and send those questions right to our studio. Deborah in Tennessee, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? I'm calling about dry locking my basement. I, I have my concerns about, well, number one, the odor, because I have pets. And number two, where does that water go if you just trap it in the cinder block? So I'm in a debate with my other half about, yes, we should do it, no, we shouldn't. We had one, you know, water incident in 15 years, and that's the only thing that's happened since, but I still would rather be safe than sorry. That's a great question, Deborah. So first of all, um, Dry Lock is a product that has some odor. It doesn't have a terrible odor. I've used it a lot over the last few months on a project I was doing in, in my basement. So I think that um, if you open your basement windows, and especially one of the things I did is I stuck a, a room fan, like I had an old fan, I stuck it up in one of the windows and just made sure it pulled some air out of that basement. And it was, it was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't terrible. 
and uh, I don't wouldn't have any concerns about about pets uh, using that product. Now you ask the question: So what happens to the water? Am I keeping it out? Listen, this is a this is a point of misunderstanding. That dry lock is not keeping the you know the waves of the ocean out of your basement. It's not that kind of a thing. It's stopping some of the evaporation that will come from the block in the wall getting damp, but it doesn't stop a lot of water that wants to get in. If it's going to get in, it's going to get in. And the way you stop it, though, especially since you mentioned that uh, this has only happened once in 15 years, you've got a problem with drainage. I can tell you right now that if you look at your gutters, they're either blocked, the downspouts are not extended out away, the soil around your house is like sagging into the walls. All of this sort of thing causes those floods. So you don't have to worry about sealing your house against the water. Your house will stay dry if you stop the water from getting there by improving your drainage. I want you to go to moneypit.com and on our homepage, read the post about wet basements and how to prevent the wet basement. All the step-by-step information you need is in that post. So check it out and your problem will magically disappear. Murray in Illinois is on the line and you need some advice on buying a new water heater. What can we help you with? Well, my issue is I have a house full of females <laughs> and myself and we have, we are having a issue with keeping up with hot water. I presently have a 40 gallon natural gas water heater and I was wondering if I could get your guys opinion. Uh, the bathroom they shower ends upstairs, and we also have a washing machine up there. And I was wondering what you guys thought of the instantaneous water heaters. I've I've seen some small ones that it said would put out like 3.3 gallons per minute, and I had no idea what an actual shower takes. And I just wondering what you guys thought about that to supplement maybe the hot water heater. Okay, so first of all, um, we are fans of tankless water heating technology. And so we do believe that if your water heater was failing, then that would be an appropriate thing to replace it with. In your case, you're talking about supplementing, which is a bit different because you really have to have your water heating your water heating needs zoned into two separate loops if you want to supplement because then you have half on the on the tank water heater and half on the tankless. The issue of your water heater being located a distance from the plumbing fixtures that you want to use most frequently is not going to be solved regardless of what kind of water heater you have because the water still has to travel the same distance. But if you're concerned about running out of hot water, that's not going to happen with the tankless. It just won't. And you buy the tankless based on how many bathrooms you have in your house, and there'll be plenty of hot water to keep everybody in those bathrooms uh, showered for as long as they want to stay in there. So you're saying just it's best just to replace the natural gas when I have and get like a whole house tankless yeah exactly how old is that one you have now uh it's probably i'm guessing five or six years maybe yeah so it's still pretty new i mean it, it usually lasts about 10 so you got a decision to make you know i mean if you're if you're running out of hot water then maybe it's worth uh worth doing okay i appreciate your help very much all right Murray. good luck Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. 
That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, MONEYPIT. Stacy's on the line from Minnesota. What's going on in your Money Pit? I have a question about using some mortar to fill in the spaces between the brick on our fireplace we purchased the 1968 Rambler that needs a lot of work. And we're thinking if we fill in the space between the bricks on the fireplace and then paint it with a lime wash, if that will look nice. All right. So I'm a little confused because I feel like maybe you're trying to fill in the mortar so that it's smooth and not like really repoint it in the bricks. But do you want to still see the brick face and have like a smooth line in between that's at the same level? I think it's going to be weird. But if you're talking about that lime wash, which is kind of pickling, I mean, that only works on wood because the lime wash kind of sits in the wood grain and then gives that like white chalky finish in the wood graining and then the smooth parts of the wood just kind of take on like a milky wash. I don't think you're going to get the same effect on a brick because it's not going to absorb in the right way. It's going to kind of just suck into a lot of places and then you'll get a very big different look between whatever you're filling in that mortar and the brick. I mean, I think if you're trying to go for a fully smooth finish, that's something completely different. I think you can also explore the idea of 
tiling or adding a different stone over the brick just for a completely different look. But I, I think this sort of finish effect that you're trying to get is, is going to be a little odd. Probably stucco it too, right? I mean, if you wanted to do that, you could cover the whole thing with stucco, but now you'll have just a different surface to deal with. I like the idea of the stone. There's a lot of faux stone out there that looks absolutely beautiful around a fireplace. Time to talk to Philip in Rhode Island about a roofing question. What can we do for you? Well, in, in Rhode Island, in my neighborhood in Jamestown, there's a lot of beautiful red cedar shingled houses. And okay. I, just, I just put brand new red cedar shingles on my house and my roof. I notice some of the houses age beautifully. Like when I, what I mean beautifully is they age darker red and sometimes little bits of black or streaks of black and red and deep, deep red. And um, some of them don't age that way. It's like, and I'm, I'm just wondering if you guys know anything about how to get them to age the way I want them to. I don't want them to age light. I want them to age darker, red. Yeah, we don't always get to choose how we age, right? And that applies to our shingles as well. So when you choose red cedar, um, that gets darker over time, and it will turn to a, a, a very dark gray, typically, as it's exposed to sunlight. I mean, I guess it's possible that you could apply a stain to the cedar shingles, even though they're roofing shingles, but most people don't do that. So what we typically get calls about when it comes to cedar is how to, not to, how, how to prevent them from getting darker. And one way to do that is to replace the vent across the ridge of the roof. Or if you don't have a vent there, you can essentially do the same thing with a strip of copper. If you were to overlay the peak of the roof with, say, a 12-inch wide strip of copper, so half goes on one side, half goes on the other, what happens is as rainwater strikes that, it releases some of the copper, and that acts as a mild mildicide and helps to keep the roof shingles clean and prevents algae growth. Oh, but So then they wouldn't, they wouldn't age down. They'd stay lighter. It would be less likely to get as dark, and they certainly wouldn't grow in algae. You Perhaps you may have noticed that sometimes when you look at houses, especially around chimneys that have metal flashing, you'll see bright streaks at the bottom of the chimney. That's for the same reason. What happens is that metal flashing releases some of its copper and then cleans that area under the chimney. That's why it gets streaky there. But if you do it across the whole peak of the roof, then it will sort of clean evenly. It'll clean evenly. But I'm looking for that age to look, the kind of the dark, the darker shingle age look, the darker mm-hmm. color. Um, and I guess it's just up to Mother Nature is what you're saying. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks very much, you guys. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you're looking for a budget-friendly floor option but don't have the budget for a solid hardwood floor, engineered hardwood is an excellent option. We share the options in today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Now, first up, engineered hardwood flooring is made with real hardwood. It's got a real hardwood top layer, which is then attached to a structured wood core. Now, once it's installed, the engineered hardwood looks identical to solid hardwood, but because there's less hardwood needed, engineered hardwood floors cost a lot less to buy. Now, another big benefit for engineered hardwood is that the core structure makes the floor dimensionally stable, and that's going to give you a lot more options when it comes to installation. It's a lot less likely to be impacted by humidity and temperature change, so you can use it in a wide variety of climates, including below-grade spaces where dampness can ruin solid hardwood flooring. 
Yep, and there's also a lot of options when it comes to installation. Engineered hardwood is available as a tongue-and-groove flooring that can be nailed down or glued down or even edge-glued together to form a floating floor. And if you're looking for an even easier installation, it also comes as a quick click floor, meaning the boards just lock together with no adhesive or no clamping required, which is really perfect for a DIY floating floor application. Now, before installing your engineered flooring, it's a good idea to let the floor acclimate to the room that it's planned for. So pick up the flooring a few days in advance and leave it in the house so that it has time to get used to the conditions in the home, the temperature, the humidity, everything. Now, if you're doing the installing yourself, you just want to be sure to follow the instructions that are provided by the manufacturer. I mean, the whole process is pretty easy, and you're going to be amazed with the results. And that's today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Earn 3% cash back on online shopping. Apply at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Heading out to Cape May where we've got Marty on the line with a question about a tankless water heater. What's going on? My question is I have a tankless water heater which is on the second floor of my home um, and that's the reason that was one of the major reasons we got a tankless one so that if it didn't, so there was no leakage problem and destroyed the whole house. However, it takes almost five minutes for hot water to get from the time I turn it on in the sink in the kitchen, which is on the first floor, to have hot water. Is there anything I can do? Is there something wrong with the way um, it's hooked up or set up or this particular hot water heater? Why is it that I do not get hot water faster than five minutes? Ah, yeah, this is a common misunderstanding, Marty, when it comes to the difference between a tank water heater and a tankless water heater. So while tankless water heaters heat water continuously, it doesn't necessarily speed up the time it takes that hot water to come out of your faucet because it's not a matter of the water heater in this case. It's the physical distance from the water heater, whether it's a tank or a tankless, and the faucet itself. So I think sometimes folks think because they go tankless and it's instant hot water and all of that, yes, yeah, it's instantly heating the water, but it still has to run through the pipes. Now, there are systems, Watts makes a system that's a recirculator that basically will keep some hot water running through the pipes all the time so that you don't have to wait for it so much. And it's on a timer so that, like, it runs, like, kind of when you need it, so, like, first thing in the morning and that kind of stuff. Because it does cost a little bit more to operate, but, you know, using this sort of thing. But when you get a tankless water heater, you get energy efficiency um, and you get an unlimited supply of hot water. But you still have to wait those first few minutes for it to get from the water heater itself, no matter what kind you have, to the faucet, which in your case sounds like the kitchen. Now we've got Jan in South Dakota on the line who needs some help with leveling a basement floor. Not a terribly difficult project, but a big one. How can we help you? We're planning to remodel the lower level of a townhouse. And what we'd like to do is retile the traffic area, which is a hallway and also a bathroom and utility room. But there's a bedroom with a closet on an outside wall and a utility room in the, in the sort of the center of the um, rooms that has an unlevel floor. So my okay. question is, is there a way to uh, re-level the concrete floor before we re- resurface it? Yeah, I mean, there's a product called a, a leveling compound, a floor leveling compound, that essentially you can mix up and pour on the floor and trowel out and use it to level floors. And so that's really your only option. But how out of level is this floor? I mean, is it really visually um, bothersome 
because I would suspect that you know, it's a big project for you to level it, and it might be easier just to sort of adjust things around it. Okay, like re-level the appliances and. Yeah, exactly. It's a just it's a kind of a pain in the neck to level the entire floor. Is it expensive to have it professionally done? I would say yes. To do it yourself, no. But then again, it's not the kind of thing that you could just pick up and do. It does require some skills to get it done right. You would just get a, like a a long board to use as a trowel. There are products that are self-leveling products, and they're usually good for more minor leveling jobs, say up to uh, being one inch out of level. So if you choose a floor leveling compound that's designed for self-leveling, essentially what you do is you mix it up, say like in a five-gallon bucket, and then you pour it out, and it will seek its own level. But you have to keep going back, mixing more, pouring it, mixing more, pouring it, and then you can kind of trowel it out as it starts to level out, and, and then at one point it will meet you know, the original floor. So that's an option for you is to use a self-leveling compound. That sounds great. Vincent in Texas is putting up a fence and needs some help with the project. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm putting up a chain link in front of my house. Uh, Where my house is, it's in the dip of the the street. Both the street goes up on each end. Okay. And I'm about four blocks from the lake. We had a lot of rain and our water levels up. And when I'm about 14 inches down, I'm hitting water. Okay. Um, is there a special cement, or how should I do that in sending the post? Okay, so what you want to do is, um, because it's chain link, you're going to want to dig down about three feet and try to do that with a post hole digger, even if you hit water. And then the way you deal with this is you mix up concrete, like a, like a quickcrete product, uh-huh. some basic, basic uh, concrete mix, mix it up in a wheelbarrow to the right consistency, and then shovel it into the hole and let it displace the water that's in the hole. Does that make sense? So as you put the concrete in, the water will kind of work its way right out. And what will be left will be the concrete. It will dry nice and rock solid, and you'll be good to go. Okay, thank you. You saved me a lot of worry. All right. Don't worry about it. That's the way to handle that. Mix it out of the hole and then drop it in the hole, and the water will displace. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, if you'd like to step up your kitchen, adding a beautiful new granite countertop is a great way to add a little luxury to the space. But installing granite and even other stone tops truly is not a do-it-yourself project and can be really expensive. But now there's a great new alternative from Dice Coatings called the new Luxrock Solid Surface Granite Countertop Kit. Yeah, Lux Rock is real stone. It spreads over your existing countertops and it transforms them into new smooth stone surfaces that look and perform just like real granite. Now, the project is as easy to do as painting, but instead of using paint, you're actually applying a premium real stone surface over your existing countertop. Yeah, and everything you need is included in the kit, and it even includes a prime coat, stone coat, clear epoxy, and the clear coat finish. And you can use it on any flat surface, and the result you see is luxurious. I mean, it looks like a new stone surface, and it's going to look and perform just like real granite. And you can get that entire process done in a single weekend. Yep, with Lux Rock, you can create an authentic, beautiful, and durable countertop but without the price tag of granite or traditional stone slabs. It comes in five different finishes, and it's available at Home Depot, Lowe's, and DeichCoatings.com. That's D-A-I-C-H Coatings.com. 
Now we've got Debbie from Delaware on the line who's got a question about some smoke smell and some paint and popcorn ceiling. What's going on? When I bought the house I'm in, it has like a popcorn ceiling. And the ceiling was just, you know, you could lift a picture even on the walls. And you could see the nicotine stain on the wall. Anyways, it was painted over by contractors. But I'm not sure what's happening in the kitchen especially. It's from the sides where it meets the vertical walls. It's pulling away. And I didn't know what would be more economical or wiser to actually have that a professional come and scrape that ceiling off or would the labor be so intensive as maybe to put uh, a thin layer, if it's possible, like a sheetrock up there or possibly maybe a wood uh, treatment. I live in a beachy area and I think I've seen some homes that do have wood in the ceiling, sort of like maybe a whitewash type of thing. I'm not sure. Well, here's the thing. If you've got uh, a section of popcorn ceiling that's not adhering properly, it's separating, you obviously have to scrape the rest of that off. There's no, I mean, not the, not necessarily the entire ceiling, but you have to get rid of the loose stuff because you're not going to be able to reseal it. Now, once you do that, there is a, there is a type of popcorn repair product that comes in like an aerosol can. And you would have to, of course, mask off the cabinets and, and everything that's in, in that area, but you can spray it. Uh, and restore the, the sort of the gap where you took off the old sort of loose popcorn. Now it's going to be a different color. So then that would have to be followed by painting of the popcorn ceiling, which is not a pleasant project, but it can be done. You need a very thick roller. It's going to have slits in it. It's a special kind of roller. It has like slices in it okay. uh, and it uses a lot of paint. And then you sort of just start to when you work that room one side to the other and uh, you can repaint that ceiling. Most people don't really like popcorn ceiling anymore, but if you're kind of stuck with it. No, I don't. I really don't like it. No. You could remove it. I mean, it, that's another job. You can you can scrape it off, and then what you have to do is prime the ceiling, and then once you prime it, um, you can paint it. But I would recommend that you use a flat paint. Don't use like a ceiling paint. Use a flat paint. It's really important because even though you do a good job scraping off the old popcorn, you're going to find that uh, it, the ceiling is still a little uneven underneath that uh, that old popcorn, the drywall. And if you paint with anything that's got any kind of a sheen, uh, it'll show, and you'll see that the bumps and, the, and sort of the warts in the wall. But if you scrape it off and paint, prime it, then paint it with a flat paint, uh, it comes out pretty good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Jacob in Arkansas is on the line with a crack in the garage. Tell us what's going on. Uh, my wife and I recently bought a new house, uh, and there's a crack above the garage. Um, it's more cosmetic brick. It's no, none of the support, um, but it, it goes through the brick and the mortar. And so I was wondering if there's a certain kind of putty or you know, way I can fill this in so uh, the water doesn't get inside of it. Yeah, and that's exactly what you want to do. Now, now, mind you, the brick is also going to be porous, so it will still get wet. But if you want to stop water from getting in there, most importantly, freezing and making the crack worse, what I would recommend you do is to seal that crack with a clear silicone caulk. Now, when you buy the silicone, Jacob, you can buy it in a large tube or a small tube. If it's just that one crack, I would just buy a small tube. But here's the trick. You, when you cut the tip of that tube, you want to cut it so you have a very small hole there that the caulk won't kind of come out in a big glob. 
You can always make it larger, but of course, once you cut it, you can't make it any smaller. So then, you know, get up on a ladder, get real close to that. And um, sometimes with, with silicone, it's pretty thick, especially if it's cold. You may have to really squeeze it to get it to come out. But it doesn't clean up with soap and water. So just try to kind of lay it on there nice and even. That'll stop the water from falling into the crack and you should be good to go. Well, guys, I've been doing a lot of painting lately. And I've been using both latex paint that cleans up with water and oil-based paint that cleans up with paint thinner. And the reason is that there are some products that just come out better when you use an oil-based finish. So I thought this might be a good topic, less for, for you and I to kick around. So so where do you fall on this? I mean, with all the decorating projects that you do, I would imagine most of the time you use latex. But are there situations where you wouldn't? I mean, for sure. You're right. Latex is usually my 100% of the time go-to because I'm doing walls or you know, smaller pieces of furnishing, you know, things that aren't going to be super aggressively dinged up or used as heavily. So latex usually is my go-to. Obviously, whatever finish depends on where it's going and what the application is. But there are times when oil-based paints like a kitchen cabinet or, you know, some sort of metal object, things that just really call for an oil base just because you need that adhesion, you need that durability. I also, I love the shine of an oil base for a certain look. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I find that the the finish looks a whole lot better. The fact that it takes longer to dry is actually a good thing because you get virtually no brush strokes whatsoever. I was painting some metal shelving, and so I had a little bit of rust on it, but not a lot. And I used some Rust-Oleum oil-based paint on that. And i got to tell you, well, you can feel the difference when you apply oil-based paint. It has sort of like a traction to it, like you said, a stickiness to it. When you're brushing this on, you know it's grabbing that finish. And if I was using even latex paint that was quote-unquote rated for metal, there is no way that that stuff would stick like the oil-based paint does. I was also refinishing floors uh, in the last month, and that's another situation. You know, uh, when latex-based urethanes came out, I figured, hey, let me give it a try. Oh, that was a huge mistake. I'm telling you, in six months, I was staring at raw wood on the floor where it wore right through. So I would never use a latex urethane. And then lastly, primers. Now, we've been painting our basement walls, and our old brick house, and there's a lot of history there, over 100 years. And I noticed after I used dry lock, um, which I thought was going to like take care of all of this, that I was seeing water stains, old water stains, but sort of that rust color come right through the dry lock. And I was kind of annoyed by that. And I tried a second coat, didn't do anything. So then I got like the very best latex primer, new high-tech stuff that was supposed to do everything from block walls to kitchen cabinets. I put that on, nothing. It came right through. You know what finally fixed it? Oil-based, basic, bin, one, two, three, primer. Put that on, one shot, gone forever. So, I mean, there are situations like that where you just have to use the oil. And, you know, you shouldn't really freak out over the cleaning on it because it's just not that hard, you know, once you get used to it. Well, yeah, and you have to make sure that you're cleaning the brushes in the right way and that you're using the right brushes for the right product. I mean, there definitely is one product for an oil-based cleanup and one product for a latex. Same with their brushes. So you got to make sure so that you're extending the life of everything. I mean, what I do is I, when we have soup in my house, I always save the soup cans because you don't get you know tin cans too, too often anymore. Right. True. That's very true. They happen to be the perfect width you know, for uh, for soaking a brush. And I just put some paint thinner in the brush, let it soak for a bit. Then I squeeze all of that paint thinner and, and old paint out of it. 
And then I stick it in another container filled with 100% simple green, not diluted, even though it's a concentrate, just simple green. Leave it overnight, rinse it out, and it is absolutely perfect. It's fresh, it's flexible, it works great. And, uh, you know, you don't end up throwing the brush away, which unfortunately is what happens when people don't really clean them well. And by the way, here's another little trick of the trade. If you're working with oil-based paint or rollers, I did this when I was working on the floor because I had to do another coat the next morning and I didn't want to have to put uh, a new roller on. I wrapped it up with some wax paper and I stuck it in the refrigerator in a bag. Well, that's interesting because I usually will do saran wrap or a plastic bag like from, you know, before you could get them at the grocery store, but for latex pants. But I didn't realize you could do something similar. And why the refrigerator? Um, because it stops it from evaporating. You know, it's cool. It's damp. It doesn't dry out. And it was perfect. The next day I unwrapped it, put it back onto the painting uh, pole, got the roller going again, and it was perfect. I didn't, didn't lose a half a second. I mean, otherwise I would have had to spend, you know, quite a bit of time cleaning that out uh, and then, of course, setting up and doing it again. So, uh, this way, it was done in one uh, in one step, really. That's great. I even put the roller pans in, like, plastic bags, too. Oh, to save those for the next day. Yeah, why not? I mean, if I'm coming back to it, I might as well. Exactly. It looks like we've got some folks that have sent questions in via the Money Pit app. Leslie, who's first? The Dales family have written in. I love it when a family gets together on a home improvement project, and they say, we have a gas fireplace in our family room that is controlled by a mechanical thermostat on the wall. Lately, that thermostat has failed to turn the fireplace on. I've made sure that the thermostat is clean and adjusted properly, but what else could be causing this? This is always tricky. I feel like it depends on where this thermostat is and how it's going to function, right? Oh, it absolutely depends on where the thermostat is and where other heat sources are around it. I mean, very often we'll hear about like a house thermostat that um, is in view, so to speak. It's like visually connected. There's no walls or anything between it and a fireplace. And when the fireplace is on, the house thermostat thinks it's, you know, 90 degrees in the house. And really it's, you know, 60 degrees in the house. So it never really comes on. So you, the, the positioning of that thermostat is really important. The other thing that you could do is try to run the heat of that thermostat. So run it all the way up into the 80s, like way higher than you normally would have it and see if by turning it up, it has the gas fireplace actually come on because that would mean that it needs to be recalibrated. And that's something that you could do yourself probably. But another way to, to test that is to put another thermostat or another thermometer, I should say, next to the thermostat and see if it syncs up with whatever that temperature is. And so if it looks like it needs to be recalibrated, most of these thermostats can be recalibrated using a, a simple calibration screw. It's like a small screw that's located on a coil inside the unit. I mean, different thermostats have different techniques, so you might want to just sort of Google uh, the instruction manual for your particular thermostat before doing it. And if none of that works, you could try replacing the thermostat or just contact your service company because it could be a problem with the control circuit in the fireplace itself. But uh, let's get that done now so that by the time uh, those chilly evenings start up again, you'll be good to go with a warm fire. All right, next up, we've got Suzanne who writes in saying, when we put water in the bathtub to recalk, how long do you leave that water in there for? Oh, that's a good question. So, so we should probably explain, because um, she didn't really mention the top half of that, which is we suggest if you're going to caulk your bathtub is to get rid of all the old caulk and then fill that tub up with water. And the reason is because it gets heavy. It kind of does the same thing it does when you stand it. It sort of stretches and sags down. And while it's heavy, then you re-caulk, you let that caulk dry. So the answer to your question, Suzanne, is as long as it takes for the caulk to dry, which is usually overnight, then you let the water out. That tub will come back up and compress, 
And that means that it's going to last a lot longer because now when you get in and out of that tub, you're not sort of stretching that tub wall down and causing that caulk to pull away from the tile above. So the answer is you leave that tub filled with water until the caulk dries, then you can drain it and you're good to go. All right, Suzanne, I hope that helps. Remember, eventually you do have to drain it. Don't go swimming in that bathtub. You, you know, get new water when it's time to actually use it. But it's a good trick of the trade. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, guys, thanks so much for spending a little part of your day with us. We hope we've given you some good ideas on tackling projects around your Money Pit. If you've got questions, remember, you can reach us pretty much 24-7 when you send in your questions with the Money Pit app. Just go to moneypit.com slash ask. That's moneypit.com slash ask. We try to get those to those questions first before any other questions that are sent in uh, because it goes right into our production studio. So we hope that we've been able to help you with those projects. It's spring, so we know there's a lot more to get done. You can count on us to help you do anything that you'd like to accomplish to make your home the dream that you want it to be. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 